Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. In Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the The whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Welcome to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Art Stone, and with me, as always, is your co-host, Andy Hart. Artie Farty, how are you, my man? <laughs> Ooh, feeling a little gassy, actually, now that you mention it. Oh, no. Um, what a shame. No, actually, I'm actually, Andy, I'm feeling yeah. pretty damn good today. Oh. Oh, why is that? Um, Andy, we have probably a uh what is uh, a top 10 spectacular episode today wouldn't you say uh yeah i'd say easily this is in the top 10 in spectacularity um not only do we have an incredible topic we have an incredible guest uh, even more incredible than the topic even um in fact so incredible i want to get to it as quickly as possible which is uh out of the ordinary for us <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, the haters are going to love this one because we're getting right into it. Um, today, uh, dear Bunk Funkers, we are giving you the whole enchilada on the Axeman of New Orleans. This is a history mystery, kind of true crimey. Um, uh, it's a really great topic. There's a lot of... <laughs> you're going to learn a lot about serial mascots as well. Not only are you going to learn about serial killers, but serial mascots. Um, There's going to be serial all over the place in today's episode. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, without, you know, if you, if you would like to, uh, get right to that research, get right to the topic, as always, you can look in our show notes, look in the episode description. There will be a timestamp that'll tell you when you can scrub right ahead to when the research begins. But I really think you should stick around because we're going to introduce our guest here in a moment. We urge you to stick with us because you're going to want to hear this. Uh, we have with us a Titan of the podcasting industry. Self-described Atlas. (laughs) Self-described Atlas. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and he was, he was kind enough to come on the show, kind enough to virtually beam into the bunker where we are. 
Um, the the host. We did we did have to mail him a can of peaches, so he gets a full true. bunker experience. That's true. He is. We sent two. <laughs> Uh, well, there'll be one after the recording. Jeez, I mean, uh, yeah. He comes with a high price. Let's yeah, just say that. that. So I'm, I'm, I'm tough contract. I got a down peachment. Yeah. <laughs> oh god damn it! He's already he's already showing us up. The uh, master of puns. The master of puns. The hostess with the mostest. The the host and proprietor of the Blurry Photos podcast. Please welcome to the bunker, David Flora. What's up, guys? David, uh, welcome, Hi, David. Welcome to the bunker. Welcome. Welcome. Ooh. Jeez, I'm getting applause and everything. Uh, um, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you, you guys uh, set me up with Titan, and I said, uh, well, I'm just uh, Atlas then because I just kind of stand here and don't do anything with my life. <laughs> oh, you do plenty, David. You do plenty. In fact, just last night I watched you stream on Twitch, twitch.tv slash blurry photos. Hey, thank you. Yeah. And you were streaming some uh, Norse mythology video games. That's Yeah, yeah. I can't get enough. Yeah, uh, I, I'm simultaneously right now. I'm playing Absalov, which is what you saw last night. I'm playing Valheim, and I'm playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So, like, oh my goodness, any any day now, this beard's going to come in. I swear, <laughs> any day now. David has a pretty glorious beard, I must say. <laughs> um, beard and mustache combo. Um, and just last night, myself, I was cruising the internet, uh, trying to have some fun, and I found myself <laughs> at uh, none other than blurryphotos.org. Oh. Uh, <laughs> What a wonderful wow. website! What a great website! Oh, did you know you could you. get uh, you could get access to uh, the Blurry Photos podcast off that website? I did know that, uh, and you can see all of these great uh, Lego photos uh, of scenes related to the podcast. That's right. Yeah, I even do, though in some uh, the hands are upside episode. down, but that's another topic. <laughs> yeah, don't don't mention that, please. Um, <laughs> David, we we like to uh, get to know uh, you know and, and introduce you to uh, to the bunk funkers a little bit here. Um, we kind of want to want to dive deep into what makes you tick here. So, I mean, what what kind of got you interested in podcasting about um, you know, all these kind of wacky topics that we tend to cover the the paranormal, UFOs, conspiracies, cryptids, you know, anything bizarre. I mean, what what led you down that path? Well, uh, a long time ago, um in a galaxy far far away <laughs> called Kentucky, I Ooh, uh, oh. I, uh, I was always into mythology. I think mythology got in, got me into it first, and then uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. I always oh, loved yes. those, and um, I didn't, I didn't do much with this stuff. Um, after basically middle school, uh, I, I obviously I was like a D and D nerd, you know. Hell so yeah. I, I guess you could say there was a touch of that in there. A little um, three point five, a little four. Oh, two your... son. Ooh, wow, uh, two. starting out with two. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, I had to learn Thacko. I dated, I dated you a little bit there. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> but I uh, it, it wasn't until I, I moved to Chicago in uh, 05 and I started listening to uh, to podcasts while at work, and uh, I started listening to a couple of uh, the weirder ones, you know, stuff that would uh, cover this these uh, topics, and I really couldn't get enough of them. I just I was fascinated, and mostly I was like. I want to know if these are true. I want to know what uh, what is going on behind this, if there's any explanations, or if this is something, you know, I should uh, uh, shit my pants about. <laughs> and, well, um, you know, there's always something to shit your pants about. <laughs> there's always something, you know. I just got to pick and choose which 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 it is. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I started doing uh, improv in the city, and then my team did a, a short-lived uh, podcast, and I would bring a uh, – we, we just kind of, you know uh, – 
shot the shit with it, and I brought a um, weird topic each week to discuss. And uh, another friend of mine who was on the team with me um, would jump on it with me and just really, you know, talk about it and was really in- into it as well. And pretty soon I was like, you know what? I'm listening to all these shows. I'm talking about this every week. Uh, this uh, my my partner here, who I'm you know doing this uh, improv with, he seems to enjoy it, and and we get a kick out of it, and have fun, tell jokes. Let's. Uh, I, I I said let's try this uh, uh, by ourselves, just focusing on weird stuff. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. That was in 2012, and um, since then he has uh, left the show and started a family. Um, and I've been doing it solo since 2018, but yeah, I, uh, I, I kind of fell in the hole and uh, just kept falling ever since. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You fell down the rabbit hole and you just kept going. That's it. Um, you know, obviously we, we love to ask kind of what's, you know, obviously we're, conspiracy is in the name of the podcast, but we cover a lot of different topics in that rabbit hole, so to speak. But, um, kind of what's, what's usually your go-to take on like, the conspiracies or aliens or the paranormal are you more of a like i don't know andy what's the word like a skeptic are you more of a scully or a molder you know are you are you someone who kind of like is yeah. like you want to believe first and then see if you can be proven wrong are you somebody who is like no 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 the burden of proof is on you uh <laughs> uh uh rendlesham forest ufo <laughs> right <laughs> uh I, I think for the first three or four years, I was a um, molder, and then I've morphed wow. into a scully. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's just like I the more you look into stuff and if you really get to the bottom of it and look for what's credible and what's not and uh, kind of learn the ins and outs of uh, logical fallacies, I think that uh, <laughs> it, it has really uh, soured me on a lot of stuff. Okay. I still want things to be true but i also want it to stand the test of scrutiny and therefore there's no there's no way it couldn't be true you know what i mean definitely is there is there any topic or any particular event uh or whatever that sticks out to you david as being something that you find to be like pretty plausible like you really think that there's a, a supernatural or uh, some other kind of obscure underpinning to that event. Um, it's it's a it's a good question. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure really that there is um, that would have a supernatural uh, element to it that that is that is true or credible. Um, now, some conspiracies, you know, there are uh things that i think a lot of people have talked about but haven't um approached at uh, every angle uh, i'll give you an example like uh fluoride and water um mm-hmm. there's i i'm not sure that i would believe what has been said to debunk it uh because i think some of that information is coming from the industry itself that that would be perpetrating <laughs> this stuff right uh, plus the fact that uh, my main point with with like something like fluoride is that um, it's in the water. People don't have a choice whether or not uh, they they take it or have it, and you don't have to ingest it for it to work. And there are possible studies that show that ingesting it um, messes with the pineal gland in the brain, like crystallizes it. Like there are there are certain aspects about it that I think that there should be some. Um, unbiased research uh done and kernels of truth kernels of truth in there yeah so 
just little little stuff like that. I, I use that as an example usually. Um, not that like you know I'm full on. The fluoride is in the water to control uh, the sheeple, right. and you right, know, right, right. Although America these days, am I right? But um, <laughs> you it, that's that's the what I point to to like <laughs> illustrate the point that there's right. a lot of angles to approach stuff from. Definitely. No, we're we're kindred spirits, I think, in that um, in that regard. I mean, um, you know, Andy and I always kind of we always talk about how there's. Yeah, there's there's certain little elements that you can always pull from a lot of different topics, you know, uh, minus maybe something like spectrophilia, which I don't know, maybe that's 100 percent true. But uh, <laughs> maybe maybe some some people in this room want it to be 100 percent true. I don't know. Uh, but I uh, want spectrophilia to be true. <laughs> yeah, we all do. That'd be hilarious. Um, but yeah, you know, we're definitely kindred spirits in that regard. We always love to ask this as well. You ever have any I mean, out there in the. Uh, the forests of Kentucky or the side alleys, the foot, foothills of the Appalachians, <laughs> the the the, uh, the 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 mean the gross of... um, the gross pothole filled alleys of <laughs> of Lincoln of, Park of Lincoln Park. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have you ever had like a UFO experience, a ghost experience, anything paranormal, anything crazy, weird, or kind of made you do a double take? Uh, here's here's the the thing oh, that boy. makes me incredibly interesting. No. <laughs> not a damn thing and i i this is the thing like i know a lot of people say don't don't wish for this because you're going to regret it but i wish for it i i wish something wow. would happen because wow. i want that perspective on it i want to you sure. know i want to be able to uh scrutinize um my own eyes Scrut- scrutinize my eyes yeah. as it were <laughs> you know what i mean yeah i guess in a way if you have uh, i mean i'm I famously have never had either. I've never had a paranormal. Experience. I've heard about yeah. that. Yeah, it is famous. Yeah, <laughs> it's you. very famous. It's it, Andy's photo turns up in a lot of wanted posters. Yeah, <laughs> and court documents. Yeah, so and, famous. And uh, you know, flyers on the side of cash registers <laughs> at convenience stores. This un, above the text that says "Do not accept checks from this man." <laughs> My photo is everywhere. Uh, and I famously am, I've never had a paranormal experience. That's also included. Uh, do not accept checks has never had a paranormal experience. Yeah. Um, it's, it's due to that. I think. Yeah. Your checks are good. Yeah. The checks are fine. It's just that they don't trust you. You haven't, yeah. you haven't and seen I get a ghost. It. Everybody's seen a ghost. This guy brings a Bacham's razor too much. We were talking about ghosts. <laughs> this guy's shaking guy shaking with Bacham's razor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, beat you oh, to wow. it. wow. The He's... fastest draw. Good job. <laughs> Jeez. Um, but I, you know, I think I think if I had a paranormal experience, it makes me more of a, I don't know, because I'm normally a skeptic, and so I think if I had a paranormal experience and I was able to like deconstruct it or say here's mm-hmm. what actually happened, it makes me more credible. Because right yeah. now it's kind of like people say I had this experience, and I'm like, well, yeah, you did have that experience, but yeah, yeah, how do I we don't think no you're making that. the right conclusion? Yeah, and listen, being a skeptic is very boring. We love it when people come on the show and they're like fucking hardcore believers because <laughs> yeah. it just makes it fun. It just adds more spice. Uh, but you know, I mean, uh, Hey, to each their own. But uh, again, we are, uh, we're very much kindred spirits there with you, Dave, because yeah, I haven't had anything happen to me either. I'm just very boring. I stay inside <laughs> my house. Um, he stays inside his house. He didn't even bother to buy a haunted house. David, do you yeah. believe this? No, didn't even buy, 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 buy a haunted house. Shame. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, 
how can we have uh, these experiences when all we do is uh, sit around playing Norse video games? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Maybe the video games came alive and did something weird to me. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, another thing that some people in this room wish would happen. I don't know. Unnamed people in the room. We don't have to name names. Oh, geez. What would happen if Overwatch came to life? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, okay, so maybe I want Watson to cradle me in his big, big gorilla arms. I don't know. Like, whatever. Have Not a big mercy. deal. <laughs> mercy. Sure. Soldier 76. Um, it's high noon. It's... <laughs> I don't even like the game. I'm I'm just it's saying just what the kids part of say the cult, yeah, yeah, part of the lore. Yeah. Um, um, I, I don't know, Andy. So uh, let's see. Anything else we can ask our friend David here? Let the listen. The, let the bunk funkers get to know him a little bit better. Uh oh oh. Um, Andy has something. He's stroking his little chinny chin stroking chin. My, stroking my non-existent beard here. Uh, <laughs> Dave, uh, David, what is the like? What's the on your podcast? Uh, blurry photos. What is blurryphotos.org? Blurryphotos.org. <laughs> What is patreon.com slash blurry photos? On your on your podcast, the blurry photos podcast, uh, what what's the what's your favorite episode? Uh, That's a great question. In the whole you, you have a you've been at this for a long yeah. time. You have a ton of episodes. Massive what's, catalog. Either what do you think turned out the best or what was your favorite episode to do? Well, I thank you for looking at the the massive catalog, fellows. But my eyes are up here. Um, <laughs> I, okay, 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 okay. All right. Wow, you didn't have to put your catalog of episodes yeah. inside that trench coat. Yeah. You're wearing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I didn't have to just lay it on the table. Um, <laughs> I, I have a, I have a couple that I really enjoy, and I think uh, to answer exactly, my my favorite one would be Spring Hill Jack, uh, because that's oh. episode twenty four. Because that's um, uh, it's a great. Um, figure of history slash cryptid slash like mystery that really isn't uh, that solved um, and it's just a fantastic character and then that's when uh, um, Dave and I my partner back the, in the day um, that's when we really kind of found our stride with uh, incorporating improv into the show and doing characters and voices and just nice. kind of having fun with it Um so I, I really uh, hold that place uh, special in my heart. And then um, I I was really proud of, I think it's episode 93, which was uh, Civil War Ghosts. Um, and it was, we decided to do it like a Ken Burns documentary. And so we um, we did a little like uh, research and information. And then that, that led into a ghost story. And then we improvised characters as if they were giving an interview uh, and, and those ended up being people like, um, Albert Wolfkins, um, the, uh, battlefield historian and, um, and then, uh, uh, Dave did a whole thing on like soldier corn, how they would plant crops and dead bodies and stuff. Like it, oh. it, it, it went all over the place, Gnarly. Wow. but it was, uh, it was one of those things where it's like, man, the, the creativity just kind of like gushed out and we just sort of didn't try to control it. And I I'm so proud of how that episode turned out. Um, nice. So that, that those would be kind of top two for me. I think there, there you Very go. Bunk cool. funkers. If you want to go to blurry photos.org, that, that, that web web address again is blurry photos.org. And you can, you can do a Boolean search for, well, I don't know if it would be a Boolean search. You, you could do some kind of search. You uh, could Google bang it. 
You could Google bang it. <laughs> Google bang Yahoo. Uh, you could uh, ask Jeeves. Uh, you could. Jeeves <laughs> still around? He's still alive. Can is we he ask alive? Him? Is Jeeves still here? <laughs> oh, yeah. Jeeves is still around. He's 800 years old now, but he's immortal. It's fine. <laughs> ask Jeeves would make a great Civil War ghost, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you can look up Springheel Jack and Civil War Ghosts and check those out on Blurry Photos. And I would just like to point out, Bunk Funkers, what a professional David Flora is. We did not give him these questions ahead of time. Yeah. So that was the first time he was hearing me ask that question. <laughs> not only did he give two great episodes to listen to, he also gave you the episode numbers, <laughs> which... I, I, I can't do that. If anybody asked right. me or Art any episode number for anything we've ever done, even the last episode, <laughs> we would not know it. Legitimately, we have no idea what episode we talk to each other about it, and we do not know even in the moment. <laughs> That's so, good. David that means Ford, you're a true professional. Well, thank you. I, I, it's a kind of a game. I like trying to guess which episode uh, uh, people reference. I'm like, oh, was that episode 120? No, I, oh, I don't know. Somewhere in the in the 140s, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Um, well, whatever episode number this is, Bunk Funkers, <laughs> you are in for a treat because the X-Man of New Orleans, New Orleans, New Orleans. is um, this is a great topic suggested by David himself. Hey, um, uh, it, it, this is a really fun one. Great history, mystery, great, full of uh, true crime, unsolved. Um, we're going to probably have some fun verdicts with this one, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, so let's get to it here, Andy and David. This is the X-Men of New Orleans here on Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast. Woo-wee! Down in Louisiana, close to New Orleans, <laughs> way back up in the woods among the evergreens, there stood a log cabin made of oith and wood, where lived a country boy named Axeman of New Orleans. He never ever learned to read or write so well. But he could bash your head with an axe and send you to hell. Hey, Jesus, Andy, what a scary story. Even though it was delivered in a very catchy cadence, I have to say. Sorry, Art, but today's topic is scary. It's about a series of unsolved murders and the mystery surrounding the perpetrator of said murders. And today, we're giving the Bunk Funkers a massive whole enchilada stuffed with jambalaya and jazz on this topic. This is such a huge and dewy-y whole enchilada. We had to ask our friend, David Flora of Blurry Photos Podcast, blurryphotos.org, patreon.com slash blurryphotos, (laughs) to help us serve up this humongous enchilada. Yeah, you know, it's a real coincidence because my twin Bishan poos are named Jambalaya and Jazz. Wow, I named my poos too. My favorite was Turd Ferguson. Like that SNL sketch? Celebrity Jeopardy? Mm-hmm. You guys remember that? Mm-hmm. I named it that because it looked like a novelty cowboy hat. Oh, good lord! It's funny because it's a it's a big hat. <laughs> yeah, it was a big a big turd, <laughs> a big poo. And you you really you really love recycling existing intellectual property, don't you? Oh yeah. 
I should also mention that uh, I represent uh, the late, great Chuck Berry's estate. I do have to uh, sue you for that Johnny B. Good parody you did earlier. All right. Fine. We'll send you a check, okay? The whole budget for Mr. Cons- Bunker's conspiracy time is basically for legal expenses related to our theft of other people's intellectual property anyway. We don't give a fuck. <laughs> wow, Andy. I guess Chuck Berry turned you into a real cuckberry, huh? Hey, that's my favorite Captain Crunch variety. By far. Uh, well, sorry, David, but uh, today we're not eating Captain Crunch Oops Cuckberry. <laughs> Good Lord. Today we're eating Axe. Oh, and for once, I'm not just mispronouncing the word ass. Bunk wow. Bunkers, I said something correctly. <laughs> this is a red letter day for the show. I can read. <laughs> today we're talking about the infamous Axe Man of New Orleans, a an early 20th century serial killer who terrorized the New Orleans area and whose crimes remain unsolved to this day. And when we say early 20th century, we're not kidding. The typical Axeman timeline runs for 18 months from May of 1918 to October 1919. But maybe the Axeman got started in 1910. And maybe he was killing all the way up until 1921. Look, we'll get into it, but there's a lot of possible murders. Typically, the Axeman is credited with 12 attacks in which which six people were killed. Uh, These attacks almost exclusively occurred at night, usually between 1 and 3 a.m. on moonless nights, while the victims were sleeping soundly in their beds. The Axeman generally gained entry to his victims' homes by chiseling his way in, typically through the back door, which allowed the Axeman to then unlock said door. What's interesting is that the Axeman rarely used his own tools. He generally used whatever he found lying around his victims' houses. And as his name suggests, the Axeman typically used the victims' own axe to attack them, leaving the axe, as well as other tools, behind at the scene. Also interesting to note, the Axeman usually did not rob his victims. While homes were sometimes ransacked, Little, if anything, was ever stolen. Now, the Axeman also frequently targeted Italian-American grocers, which I got some problem with. I'm Italian. These were my people. <laughs> These goombas arrived in this country trying to sell a good sandwich, stuffed with gabagoo and prosciutto and sausage and mozzarella to the American masses, like Gary Cooper, the strong, silent type. Come on! is a Sopranos reference. <laughs> and this X-Man, this Stunad, he just wouldn't let that happen. Oh, Maron. Mamma mia. Stugach. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, David. Um, the first official X-Man attack, again, we'll get into the timelines. It's, it's, we're jumping, we're going to jump around a bit. We'll, we'll get into it. The first official Axeman attack occurred on May 23rd, 1918. Joseph Maggio, an uh, Italian grocer, and his wife, Catherine, were attacked while sleeping in bed. Their throats were cut with a straight razor, and their heads repeatedly bashed in with an axe. Overkill. Catherine, <laughs> yeah, a little, a little bit yeah. overkill. I mean, Jesus. Catherine, who was nearly decapitated, drowned in her own blood. Joe survived long enough to be discovered by his brothers. One who lived in the house, and two who lived nearby. But he died shortly thereafter. When the police when police arrived on the scene, they found the bottom panel of the kitchen door had been knocked out, and a chisel 
was nearby. An axe was found in the Maggio's bathtub, a pile of blood-soaked clothes, a revolver which hadn't been fired, and a bloody straight razor were also found at the scene. At first, police thought Joe Maggio's brother, Andrew, was responsible for the murders because the straight razor found next door was similar to the one he brought home from his barber shop in order to hone the blade. Um, in fact, one of the shop's employees told police that Andrew took the razor home only two days before the murder. Now, it's worth mentioning that Andrew was the Maggio brother who lived in the same house as Joe and Catherine. So police took Andrew into custody on May 23rd, but released him on May 25th after finding out that the bloody razor did not, in fact, belong to Andrew. They also found out that Andrew likely couldn't have committed the murders because he got drunk that night and uh, before he was scheduled to be deployed to the Navy the very next day. Even as the case against Andrew Maggio was unraveling, police continued to investigate the crime scene. Down the street from the Maggio residence, police found a weird message written on the sidewalk in chalk. The message read, quote, Mrs. Maggio is going to sit up tonight, just like Mrs. Tony. Clearly. The killer was Tony the Tiger. <laughs> Mrs. Tony is the name of Tony the Tiger's wife. Not a lot of people realize that Tony the Tiger has a family. <laughs> Probably because he exudes bachelor energy, but it's true. He is a family man. There's his wife, Mrs. Tony, his kids, Tony Jr., and Antoinette. And don't forget Tony the Tiger's mother, Mama Tony. <laughs> There's also his pet dog, Rigatoni. Tony the Tiger probably murdered the Maggios with his tiger claws. Well, you know, David, these murders are unsolved, so maybe it was Tony the Tiger. But, unfortunately, the New Orleans police didn't make that connection. Instead, they thought the attacks on the Maggios may have been connected to previous attacks and murders that happened in the New Orleans area from 1910 to 1912. One of the victims of these earlier attacks was a guy named Tony Schiambra. Tony's wife, Joanna, sometimes called Mrs. Tony, uh, despite this uh, connection, there was little evidence to connect the attack on the Maggios to this earlier string of attacks, which were carried out by a person called the Cleaver in the press. It's a pretty legit nickname. It's a good nickname. Both these guys, good nicknames. <laughs> so far, so good, you guys. <laughs> on June 27th, 1918, local baker John Zanka was making his morning deliveries in New Orleans. He bought some... Uh, he brought some bread to the grocery store owned and operated by Louis Bessemer. On arrival, Zanka was greeted by Louis Bessemer and his handsome head wound, gushing blood. Inside the store was also Louis's badly wounded mistress, Harriet Anna Lowe. The couple were attacked overnight while sleeping when an unknown man repeatedly whacked, a, repeatedly whacked them about their heads with an axe. While both Louis and Anna survived the attack, Anna passed away on August 5th, 1918, due to complications related to plastic surgery to repair damage to her face. On the scene, in the bathroom, police found the axe used in the attack. It was determined that the axe belonged to Lewis. Initially, police arrested one of Lewis's employees at the grocery store, Lewis Obicon. Or Weebicon. Oobicon? <laughs> the arrest was made based on a description of the attacker given by Anna. Given by Anna. 
I, I don't know why I change from like Spanish to English back and forth. <laughs> Albicon, Weebicon, Al, oh, Albicon, Decepticon, much like Andrew Maggio, was later released by police when it became apparent there was no actual evidence against him. Despite no clear suspect, Tony the Tiger, the case turned into a media circus due to the scandal of Lewis's extramarital affair with Anna, but also because Anna made a bunch of wild claims to the press, which we'll talk about in a bit later. Emphasis on a bit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> At the end of the day, the case remains unsolved. Now, in the early morning hours of August 5th, 1918, the same day Anna Lowe died, Anna Schneider uh, awoke from sleep to find a shadowy figure standing over her who bashed her face with a weapon. Anna, who was eight months pregnant, by the way, uh, was found by her husband, Ed Schneider, uh, who was returning from work. Anna survived her attack and even gave birth two days later. Incredible. Aw. Police were called to the Schneider's house and found the family axe was missing from the shed. That said, police didn't believe the axe was used to attack Anna. Instead, police believed she was attacked with a lamp. They also believed the attacker entered the home through an unlocked window. Not many people remember to lock their windows. It's a great way to get free groceries. Find an unlocked window, sneak into somebody's house, grab a potato, and get out of Dodge. Wow. You're like Cookie Crook, the cookie-stealing, cookie-crisp cereal advertising character. Except you steal potatoes. I think I'll call you Tater Thief. Uh, hey, David, first of all, they call me Tater Salad. Intellectual property. <laughs> and second, you should know a lot about cereal mascots. They are my passion and affliction. <laughs> Meat! Anywho, on August 10th, 1918, only five days after the attack on Anna Schneider, Italian grocer Joseph Romano was attacked while sleeping. Joseph's battered body was discovered by his nieces, Pauline and Mary Bruno, who lived with him. Pauline and Mary heard the sounds of a struggle from Joseph's bedroom and walked in to find him not vigorously masturbating like I expected, but rather being attacked by an axe-wielding man. Pauline and Mary were able to give authorities a description of the subject who attacked their uncle. They described him as, quote, dark, tall, heavyset, wearing a dark suit and a black slouch hat, end quote. At the scene, police found a bloodied axe in the backyard and a chisel near the back door. They also found an unidentified and unused axe in the bedroom. During the attack, Joseph suffered a major head wound and died two days later on August 12th, 1918. This case has also never been solved. Ooh, with the number of attacks adding up, Norlands was in a panic about this axe man. Hooey! Now, an, uh, on August... Uh, ah, an August 1918 news report stated this, quote, Armed men are keeping watch over their sleeping families while the police are seeing to solve the mysteries of the axe attacks. Extra police are being put to work daily. End quote. Now, even with all these precautions, the killer struck again. On March 9th, 1919, Rose, nicknamed Rosie, uh, Corta Megilla? Corta Miglia. Corta Miglia. Ah, fuck me. Are you supposed to be Italian? Yes, I'm Italian, but I can't read. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. I forgot you were illiterate. Corta Miglia. <laughs> Corta Miglia awoke in the night to find her husband, Charles, struggling with an unidentified man. No. Andy, stop making that face before you even bring it up. It 
They weren't fucking <laughs> and covered it up by telling Rosie they were fighting. Oh. That's usually what I do. Yeah. Your home life, Andy, scares me more than the axe, man. <laughs> um, it's pretty good. <laughs> Charles was actually being attacked by none other than the infamous axe man of New Orleans. Even though the Cordomiglias lived across the Mississippi in uh, Gretna, Louisiana. Now, this isn't just the Axeman of New Orleans anymore. This is actually the Axeman of the greater New Orleans metro area. Mm, just doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? That's not as catchy. I, I guess <laughs> not, but it's the truth. Regardless, Rosie found Charles struggling with the Axeman, and on the way to see what was going on, she picked up their two-year-old daughter, Mary. When Rosie and Mary entered the room, the Axeman attacked them as well. Rosie and Charles survived the attack, but Mary, unfortunately, did not. When police arrived, they found a now-familiar scene. The axe used in the attack was determined to belong to the Cordomiglias. A chisel was also found at the scene. Rosie and Charles were rushed to the hospital to recover. While in the hospital, they were repeatedly interrogated by police. Both claimed to not know their attacker's identity. Then, after being released from the hospital... Rosie was arrested and thrown into the Gretna jail. Apparently the, the, apparently, the local police were keen to make some arrests in this case and were pretty frustrated the Cordomiglias couldn't identify any suspects. The police did eventually release Rosie from jail once she signed an affidavit accusing her neighbors of the crime. And just who were these neighbors? Why? They were Yolando Giordano and his son, Frank. The night of the attack, the Giordanos went to the Cordomiglia residence after hearing screams. And there might have been some bad blood between the Cordomiglia and Giordano families. If you haven't guessed by now, the Cordomiglias were Italian and, of course, for this story, they were grocers. Uh, well, the Giordanos were also Italian grocers and business rivals of the Cordomiglias. In fact, not long before the night of the attack, the Cordomiglias had taken the Giordanos to court related to a business dispute. Despite this history... And that the Giordanos were literally at the scene of the attack on the night of the attack, Charles Cordomiglia didn't agree with his wife's claim. Charles thought the Giordanos could not have committed the crime because Orlando was too fucking old and sick to swing an axe, and Frank was too fucking big and fat to fit through that hole in the door. Unfortunately, Charles's convincing rebuttal failed to sway the justice system, and both Giordanos were charged, tried, and convicted of attacking the Cordomiglias. Yolando received a life prison sentence, and Frank was sentenced to death by hanging. After the trial, Charles and Rosie got divorced. This wasn't exactly what you'd call a happy ending. Oh, jeez. But hey, don't despair yet, bunk bunkers. Before Frank could get hung and, uh, and Yolando could die in prison, Rosie went to the offices of a local newspaper, the Times... Uh, Picayune. Picayune. There you go. The Times Picayune and said, uh, St. Joseph came to her in a dream and told her to tell the truth. So she recanted the whole story about the Giordanos uh, attacking her family. Now, in 1920, both Yolando and Frank were released from prison. Aww. Aww. San Giuseppe, mamma mia! You did the right thing, Rosie. You don't want to fuck with the patron saint of realtors, believe me. Uh, I forgot to bring my uh, blessed fava beans to my closing, and my realtor ended up having a mental breakdown during the closing and, well, threatened to ride a, a trained ostrich through my mortgage broker's office to recover the expenses of my closing costs in blood. 
Oh, brother. <laughs> <laughs> what a story. Uh, did I mention I acted as my own realtor? Must forget. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy. Real estate. It is a wild ride. <laughs> like anyway. riding an ostrich. Yeah, I think I'd anyway. let it happen. To be honest, I'd love to see that. <laughs> yeah, right? That would be kind of cool. Um, well, a few days later, uh, after the Cordomiglia attack on March 15th, 1919, the, the, the Times-Picayune uh, received a letter purportedly from the Axeman. Uh, and this was some kind of letter, let me tell you. It goes hard right away because of the heading of the letter reads this. Quote, hottest hell, March 13th, 1919. I mean, I'm sweating already. I know. <laughs> and it's partly due to this letter. <laughs> I think it's diabetes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's mostly diabetes and heart disease, but some of it's the letter. <laughs> now, the Axeman goes on to taunt the police like this when he writes, quote, They have never caught me, and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible, even as the ether that surrounds your earth. End quote. Now, you might be thinking that this language is being used for dramatic effect, but it goes even more dramatic. Yeah. Listen to this, quote, I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. Hence I the heading. You... <laughs> <laughs> Please see the, the, the letterhead on my note. The aforementioned am... hell and its adjective. <laughs> Seriously, are you picking up on this? Do I need to keep repeating myself? How heavy-handed should I be? Sorry, how heavy-hooved should I be? Oh, oh. I am what you Orlinians and your foolish police call the Axeman, end quote. Oh. Now, the Axeman goes on to say that he will take more lives and warns the police not to investigate him, lest they feel his wrath. Now, even though he also says the police are too stupid to catch him, but also that the police are purposefully avoiding catching him, <laughs> uh, kind of a, you know, he's getting mixed, mixed signals here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's playing both sides. Now, the Axeman tells the New Orleans citizens that he could kill thousands of people every night if he wanted to. Then, the Axeman makes a direct threat. Quote, now, to be exact, at 1215, parentheses, earthly time, end parentheses. <laughs> on the next Tuesday night, I am going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I am going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. Are you ready? I am very fond of jazz Send music. Hang on. Here it comes. <laughs> Here it comes. You'll never Get believe ready it. For it. Write this down. Get your pens and papers ready. Are you ready All yet? Right. Here we ready? go. In just a second. Hang on. <laughs> I am very fond of jazz music. <laughs> And I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing. I mean, I'm talking like, you know, odd time signatures, regular time signatures, whatever, whatever. Tempo. Accidentals everywhere. <laughs> it must be improvised. Uh Somebody get a sax. Does anyone have a sax? No? Good trumpet at least? I don't know. Upright basses are will be accepted, but no elect nothing electric. Nothing electric. Fact, I don't yes. think those have been invented. Yeah, to unplugged jazz. Um, uh, in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time, I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going well, then so much the better for you people. <laughs> in one thing is certain, 
And that is that some of your people who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night, parentheses, if there, if there be any, end parentheses, will get the axe. Look, I don't know about you guys, but I love to jazz it out by putting on my favorite <laughs> record. You know, the one that, um, that came on the back of uh, Super Sugar Crisp cereal boxes in the 70s. You, you guys, uh, am I dating myself again? The, uh, the band was called the Sugar Bears. Like Sugar Bear, the the pantsless Sugar Crisp, Golden Crisp. I mean, mascot. That uh, I, I tell you what, whatever. The the what I want you to know is that the bear was pantsless and the record slaps. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, back. I've never the, heard this one, David. Back to the Axe Man. Jesus, spin that one up. After all this, the Axe Man ended his letter by saying this: "Well, as I am cold and." Crave the warmth of my native Tartarus. <laughs> it's about time I leave your earthly home. I will cease my discourse. <laughs> Why do I kind of sound like a weird Ronald Reagan? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this was Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Foreshadowing. <laughs> Hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it may go well with thee. I have been, am, and will be. The worst spirit that ever existed, either in fact or realm of fantasy. Uh, hey, David, uh, let me just interrupt you here for a minute and muscle my way in. Uh, I can already tell that everybody wants to learn a little more about Tartarus. Oh, brother Andy, we have a guest. Oh, this won't take long, all right? Don't oh, worry. Uh, it's just a real brief explanation of Tartarus. I know about Tartarus now- because I'm a titan. Oh, that's right. You would know. Well, uh, <laughs> then this is really for the bunk funkers' benefit because I can tell. Sorry, they're salivating. No, this is for your own benefit. They're you, wet. You're the history hog, and you want to go through this. Whee! <laughs> they're ready to learn about it uh, now. If you don't know what Tartarus is, it's essentially a Greek mythological deity uh, as well as a place in the underworld. Uh, in Theogony, Hesiod lists uh, Tartarus as a primordial deity, along with Chaos, Gaia, and Eros. Uh, also in Theogony, Hesiod says that. A bronze anvil falling from heaven would fall nine days before reaching Earth and fall nine more days before reaching Tartarus. Uh, in mythology, Tartarus has also been a, a prison of the Titans, like David, uh, the pre-Olympian gods. But hey, who could describe Tartarus better than the great poet Homer? In the Iliad, Zeus describes Tartarus when he threatens to punish the other gods if he catches them interfering in the war between the Trojans and the Greeks. According to the Fagel's translation, Zeus says, quote, Any god I catch, breaking ranks with us, eager to go and help the Trojans or Achaeans, back he comes to Olympus, whipped by the lightning, eternally disgraced. Or I will snatch and hurl him down to the murk of Tartarus half the world away, the deepest gulf that yawns beneath the ground, there where the iron gates and brazen threshold loom, as far below the house of death as the sky rides of earth. Then he will know how far my power tops all other gods. End quote. That was your brief explanation. Andy, sorry about him, David. He is a degenerate. Please go ahead. Thanks, Art. As I was saying, Andy, the sugar bears didn't have pants, right? Um, <laughs> but they did eventually have a single reach number 51 on the Billboard charts. Mm-hmm. Not too shabby. Mm-hmm. History hall good that. for the sugar bears. <laughs> oink, oink. <laughs> Speaking of hit singles, this wild letter from the Axeman actually inspired a hit song called The Mysterious Axeman's Jazz. And in parentheses, don't scare me, Papa. 
And that song may have been played all over New Orleans on the night of March 19th, 1919. Uh, That was the Tuesday night that corresponded to the threat in the Axeman's letter. That night, all across New Orleans, superstitious people who owned record players put on their jazz records and listened all night. Those who didn't own a record player crowded into jazz clubs, but most people in town just kind of ignored it. <laughs> Let it go. Who cares? Yeah, that'd be me. I ain't got time for that. Regardless, nobody was killed that night. So, did the power of jazz soothe the twisted mind of the murderous Axmian? No. Because on August 10th, 1919, grocer Steve Boca was attacked while sleeping. Boca Steve means awoke. <laughs> Boca means mouth? Doesn't it? I don't know. Uh, sure. Boca Rotun. A rat mouth. 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 Rat. Ma- ma- rat mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was my nickname in high school. Um, grocer Steve Boca was attacked on August 10th, 1919 while he was sleeping. Steve awoke to find a man standing over his bed. Steve survived but suffered severe head trauma and lost his memory. As with other attacks, a panel on the back door of the home was chiseled away for entry. Then, on September 2nd, 1919, druggist William Carson fired several shots from a gun at an intruder who broke into his house. The intruder escaped, but left behind a broken door and an axe. The next night, September 3rd, 1919, Sarah Lauman was attacked by a person who entered her home through an open window. Much like Steve Boca, Sarah suffered head trauma and initially could not recall details of the attack. She was eventually able to provide a description of her assailant once she recovered from her injuries. Police found a bloody axe on the front lawn. A bit more than a month later, on October 27, 1919, Esther Pepitone woke up around 1 a.m. to the sounds of her husband, Mike Pepitone, screaming. Esther found Mike in his bedroom, suffering from being struck in the head 18 times with an 18-inch pipe and a 3-inch nut. Mike died later that night. Esther told police she saw two figures in Mike's bedroom, but couldn't identify them. The three-inch nut used in the attack was intended to secure a circus tent, which was taken from down the street where the circus was visiting that weekend. The attackers had gained entry to the Pepitone home by breaking out a window. Now, the murder of Mike Pepitone is the last, quote, official Axeman killing, uh, if you will. It's basically the last attack that's included in most Axeman timelines. You know, we're talking. We're not talking about the Axeman extended universe here. <laughs> uh, various different sagas of um, right the Bronze and Silver Ages of the Axeman lore. But um, as we keep uh, as we kept teasing, right, that the timeline is a little. Uh, there's a bit of in dispute here, right? Much like Marvel Comics, <laughs> <Yeah>. timeline <laughs> the Axeman. We don't know <laughs> when Galactus Axeman is going to show up, but I'm sure the Silver Surfer will <laughs> announce it. But anyway. There were some later attacks that might, might have been committed by the Axeman. In December 1920, uh, Joseph Sparrow and his uh, daughter were killed in Alexandria, Louisiana. Joseph was a grocer. Uh, He was attacked during the night at the grocery store he owned, and the weapon used in the murder was the family's axe. Uh... (laughs) That kind of sounds like the Axeman to me. (laughs) The next month, in January 1921, Giovanni Orlando was killed in uh, DeRitter, Louisiana. Giovanni was a grocer. He was attacked during the night at the grocery store he owned, and the weapon used in the murder was the family's axe. Uh, This sounds like the Axeman to me. (laughs) Uh, Later in April 1921, uh, Frank Scalisi was killed in Lake Charles, Louisiana. 
Frank was a grocer. He was attacked during the night at the grocery store that he owned, and the weapon used in the murder was the family's axe. Ah, <laughs> sounds like the axe man to me. Yeah. You're right, Art. Those sure <laughs> do sound like axe man killings. But we don't know for certain. That's because, as we keep saying, the mystery of the Axeman of New Orleans and the surrounding areas, metro and suburban, across the Mississippi, (laughs) near Lake Pontchartrain, has never been (laughs) definitively solved. There are plenty of theories, though. For example, some folks believe that not all killings attributed to the Axeman were actually perpetrated by the Axeman. And let's be honest here. A lot of these victims were Italians. And not just Italians, they were Sicilians. Is it possible that some of these attacks were m- mafia-related? <gasps> no. Maybe. Oh, A mafia angle makes a, a little bit of sense. Plenty of Italian immigrants were distrustful of local authorities and preferred to settle disputes themselves. Also, grocery stores were convenient targets for extortion. Maybe these store owners didn't pay their protection money. I don't know. Maybe they went against the family. Grocery <laughs> no, stores were also yeah. good fronts for criminal enterprise. So maybe these store owners were wise guys. I, take your pick. But consider this. The murder of Mike Pepitone might have legitimately been related to organized crime. Mike Pepitone's father, Pietro Peter Pepitone, was involved in an organized crime murder in 1910. On March 12, 1910, local mafioso Paul de Cristina attempted to murder the then-boss of New Orleans' budding mafia, Vin- Vincenzo Morecci. More, well, Morecci survived the attempt, and Di Cristina was murdered on April 13th, 1910, in a grocery store by a shotgun blast. The trigger man for the shotgun was none other than Peter Pepitone. Oh, that rascal. Peter Pepitone picked a peck of pickled peppers. And shot a guy. <laughs> yeah, while he was in the store, he whacked a guy. <laughs> he shot him. And then his son got whacked in retaliation. It's a mob story as old as time itself. Well, hold on to your salamis, bunk funkers, because that ain't the end of this tale. After Mike Pepitone's murder, his wife, Esther Pepitone, moved to Los Angeles and remarried a guy named Angelo Albano. Angelo was an Italian grocer, go figure, who would have guessed at this point. And apparently was married to Esther's sister before she died. I don't know how factual that is, but I saw it. Kind of weird. Um, at any rate, on the second anniversary of Mike Pepitone's murder, Angelo Albano disappeared and was never seen again. According to Esther, before she and Angelo married, Angelo had a business relationship with a guy named Joseph Mumphrey. But Joseph went by many other names as well. Joseph Mumphrey, Doc Mumphrey, Doc Mumphrey, Frank Mumphrey. Etc. You get the idea. But the guy had a lot of aliases. So anyway, according to Esther, Angelo Albano ended his business relationship with Joseph Momfrey before marrying Esther. Then, on December 5th, 1921, Momfrey showed up at Esther's home in Los Angeles, demanding $500 and her jewelry, or he would, quote, kill her the same way he had killed her husband, end quote. Esther promptly shouted, Call an ambulance! But not for me! <laughs> and shot Momfrey dead. Esther got arrested and told police that Momfrey was the Axeman of New Orleans. Wait, what? That's right, Andy. Esther told the LAPD that Joseph Momfrey was the Axeman. 
Esther said she saw Momfrey leaving the bedroom uh, the night Mike Pepitone was murdered. Now, LAPD looked into it and said uh, there was evidence to link Momfrey to Pepitone's murder. Oh, and by the way, Esther was eventually acquitted. Yay! But she was right about Momfrey being, but was she right about Momfrey being the X-Man? Let's consider some evidence. According to mafia researcher Richard Warner, Momfrey's real name was Leon Joseph Monfrey. Uh, and he was connected to mafia-related crimes as early as 1907 with the blowing up of a grocery store by dynamite. You know, good way to get your start. <laughs> Dynamiting a grocery yeah, store. Yeah, yeah. That's what they did they to blow things your- up uh, before Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> that store went viral. That's right. Um, after Monfrey, Monfrey was released from prison in 1915, he was picked up by police for questioning along with Angelo Albano. At the time, Peter Pepitone, you know, Mike's dad, told the New Orleans police that Joseph and Angelo tried to break into his home. Warner claims that Joseph Momfrey did actually relocate to Los Angeles in 1919. Additionally, Warner agrees with Esther's story that Albano and Monfrey uh, were business partners in L.A., and Warner thinks a business disagreement may have led to Angelo's disappearance. Other sources provide some additional evidence which might suggest Momfrey was the Axeman. For one, Momfrey was involved with a blackmail gang in New Orleans, which targeted Italians. In the decade prior to his death, Momfrey had been in and out of prison. The times he was out of prison also supposedly coincide with Axeman attacks. Though if you ask the author of the book, The Axeman of New Orleans, The True Story, Miriam Davis... She'll tell you that she obtained prison records that show Momfrey was, uh, that show Momfrey actually was in jail during most of the attacks. She says the popular story is a rumor, not a fact. Regardless, there were no additional Axeman murders after Momfrey's death in December 1921. Another piece of evidence is the attack on the Schiambra family. You remember them, right, Mister and Missus Tony? Rigatoni? Oh, yeah. Antoinette? Rigatoni. Well, the prime suspect in that shooting, according to the papers, was referred to as Momfrey. And when Mafia mafia boss Vincenzo Morecci was finally murdered on November 19, 1915, a man named Joseph Momfrey was held by police as the chief suspect. Well, despite all this evidence... Not everybody is so convinced that Leone Manfrey was the Axeman. For one, Esther Pepitone Albano's stories aren't consistent. In New Orleans, after Mike Pepitone's murder, Esther told police she saw two unknown men fleeing the house. Obviously, she later told the LAPD that Manfrey was leaving the bedroom. Which version of the story is right? Crime writer Michael Newton claims he failed to find any evidence someone named Joseph Mumfrey, or a similar name, was murdered in Los Angeles. Newton also failed to find evidence that Esther was arrested, tried, or convicted of any crime similar to the murder of Manfrey. Or even that Esther lived in California at all. To be fair, there do seem to be multiple media sources that tell Esther's tale. The sources from this time, though, they're a bit murky. Uh, Additionally, uh, there's not really enough evidence to link Manfrey to the Axeman crimes. The name Manfrey wasn't uncommon in NOLA at the time. There may have been a Joseph Momfrey or Mumfrey in active, uh, active in New Orleans criminal organizations, but records don't definitively prove this. All right. So if it wasn't the Italian mafia 
and it wasn't Joe Manfrey. Who the heck did it? Oh. <laughs> well, maybe it's a mixture of people. It's hmm. entirely possible that these cases are a collection of similar circumstances, but are actually not connected. Now, for example, take the case of Louise Bessemer and Anna Lowe. Earlier, we told you about some wild claims made by Anna Lowe to the press. Well, now we're going to reveal those. Um, Anna made the claim that Lewis uh, had carried out the attack on her and even accused Lewis of being a German spy. Mm. Police found letters written by and to Bessemer in Yiddish, German, and Russian, and also agreed that he was a German spy, or maybe even spymaster for the Kaiser. Wow. Now, yeah, that's saying something. Now, (laughs) (laughs) Now, ultimately, Lewis ended up being charged with the crime and served nine months in prison before being finally acquitted. Aside from these claims, Anna was quite the firecracker in the press, frequently talking to the local police force to task um, for their work and refusing to cooperate with the investigation. Anna went hard on the cops because she thought the police chief broke the story that she was not actually Louis Bessemer's wife. You see, right after the attack, Anna tried to pass herself off as Anna Bessemer, Louis's wife. She was even admitted to the hospital as Anna Bessemer. Now, eventually, the ruse was uncovered, and the press had a field day with this titillating detail. What a piece of work. <laughs> and honestly, these <laughs> horndog journalists were getting their rocks off all the time on this Axeman story. According to Dirk Gibson, a real-named person, at, <laughs> who was a professor at the University of New Mexico, beyond just reporting on the Axeman's crimes, the Times-Picayune may have even contributed to the legend of the Axeman. As uh, Dirk Gibson, I'm going to say his full name, says, because he, he seems like he should have a whip and, and like a leather jacket. That's how I'm thinking about him, too. Yeah. The famous 19th century UK killer, Jack the Ripper, created a whole new thing for media to do. Report on serial murder. Newspapers liked it because people would get terrified and buy more papers more often to find out what the killer was off to. To find out what the killer was up to. Times Picayune stories on the Axeman were sensationalist and speculative and sexy. For example, again, <laughs> so the Bessemer Low attack. The, the local press went wild with this case because of the affair and the spy angle. The press went so far as to report that German spy documents were found in Bessemer's possession or that opioids were found in the bedroom. He's a crack fiend. He's a delinquent. <laughs> Spending all his times in opium dens. Smoking opium and writing the Kaiser. But neither of those things was true. Oh. This sensationalist reporting may have led to copycat attacks. The frenzy could have also led to the frenzy could have also led the press to give the Axeman credit for things he wasn't even doing. For example, the attacks on Anna Schneider and Sarah Lauman don't fit the typical Axeman profile. It's possible that these were just burglaries gone wrong, but they got associated with the Axeman because of the fear-mongering in the press. Yeah, you know, David, that's a lot of good evidence and whatever, but uh, did you ever think about this? What if the Axeman was actually a supernatural being who could shrink down to enter people's homes through small spaces and then grow to a large man once inside? Did you think of that, David? I think he just blown the lid off this thing. <laughs> well, maybe, just maybe, the Axeman turned himself into a vapor. Vampire. To seep in through small spaces indoors and windows. 
Maybe the X-Man was a vampire. Oh, shit. I, I, I ruined it. Oh, you're good. You foreshadowed it. <laughs> Chiseling a small hole in the door, turning into a bat, then flying inside to murder. And you have to admit, you don't see a lot of vampires out there using axes to commit murder. It's a nice change of pace. Genius. This whole blood-sucking thing is a little stale at this point. Good job, vampires. It's like... Mixing it up, keeping it fresh. It, it, it's like um, true crime blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe the crossover this, we need. A little less sex, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it's too bad. Um, now that we've discussed who or what the X-Men was, let's talk about his motivation for committing all these heinous crimes. Crimeologist, a criminologist, um, Colin and crimeologist. <laughs> yeah, crimeologist, criminologist. I got a degree in crimeology. <laughs> I get a degree in crimeology from uh, <laughs> Gabagool from the University. best Western University. <laughs> I did uh, did a study abroad at the Ramada. It came with a degree and a free continental. Break. That's you right. Beat it. <laughs> Damn, that was good. I want those eggs. <laughs> I'm a waffle guy. Oh yeah, you make your own waffles. God, that takes so oh, much yeah. time. I don't. Who has time oh, for that? Man. I gotta fill my fucking belly. <laughs> I wake up. I'm hungry. I like to take two. I like to take two waffles and make a sandwich out of oh, them. Oh, <laughs> what God. do you put in between? You can't have a sandwich without anything between. I like to just slice up like six or eight hard boiled eggs from that uh, <laughs> continental breakfast. Uh, a schmear, and by schmear, I mean like eight to ten packets of strawberry jelly. Wow. <laughs> How's your heart? Yeah, he goes hard. <laughs> Not good. Man, Not yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the club. And scene. <laughs> uh, criminologists Colin and Damon Wilson have suggested that the Axeman was actually a sexually motivated killer, possibly a sadist looking for female victims. But Wilson said that the Axeman only killed men when they kept him from murdering women. As evidence, they cite cases where the men uh, or the women of the house uh, was murdered, but not the man. Eh, you know, if uh, I'm not so sure about that idea, but hey, don't worry. <laughs> it's not the only one mm -hmm. because Eric Hoffbauer, a jazz guitarist, composer, and faculty member at Emerson and Bard Colleges, has suggested that a couple of possibilities for the Axeman's motivation. And I think these motivations are going to make you jazz. Oh, no, I jazzed in my pants. Oh, no, <laughs> not again. Not like this. Not with a gas. It's too late. I've seen it. You know, this is just like uh, the apocryphal King Vitamin commercial where King Vitamin comes after getting doused in milk. You guys remember that? How no, could you, how could you get it out of your brain? I've never seen that apocryphal King Vitamin commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, the words came out of my mouth, so they're true. Well, I'm going to Google that on YouTube. Yeah, I'm definitely going to Google that a I lot. I suggest not. <laughs> I'm going to save it in my library. My mind yeah, palace. I'm going to I'm gonna have to rip that one off and uh, <laughs> store it on my hard drive. Anyway, Hoffbauer suggests that perhaps the Axeman was getting revenge on Italian-Americans for taking credit for jazz away from black musicians. According to Hoffbauer, the first jazz record came out in 1917. The original Dixieland jazz band's live... <laughs> shit. The original Dixieland jazz band's livery stable blues. The leader of the band was Nick LaRocca, an Italian-American. The livery stable blues was a controversial record because it was sort of like jazz, but it wasn't really jazz because there was no improvisation? Not... 
you know, not not no accidentals in there, no, no mm-hmm. sacks at all to be found. Eventually, no, it's totally saxless, like my marriage. <laughs> Cell phone, you meant ball sack. Eventually, <laughs> some people, most notably Nick LaRocca, claimed the original Dixieland jazz band invented jazz music. So maybe the Axeman was trying to settle Nick LaRocca's hash. Oh, get him. Hoffbauer also suggested that the Axeman may have just been pissed off about the shutting down of New Orleans Red Light District, Storyville. Storyville was shut down by the U.S. Navy in 1917, and the shutdown really hurt the local jazz economy because Storyville was home to a lot of jazz clubs. Slash glory holes. Uh, (laughs) After this blow... The Times-Picayune tried to strike another blow against jazz, running an article in 1918 trashing the musical style. Hoffbauer thinks that maybe the Axeman was some kind of jazz anti-hero, committing a series of slayings and attacks, uh, culminating with a weird jazz-centric letter to the press. He's really hitting that jazz angle. Yeah, he's jazzing hard on this. (laughs) And, And speaking of that letter... Maybe the Axeman didn't pen that letter at all. (gasps) Author Miriam Davis believes the real Axeman wasn't an educated person. She believes the Axeman was likely a working class Joe, just like you or me. A regular guy with a lust for blood, just like you or me. (laughs) At any rate, Davis doesn't believe the real Axeman could have written the Times-Picayune letter. Instead, Davis thinks the letter might have been written by New Orleans composer John Joseph John Joseph Davila, who was the composer of the mysterious Axeman's Jazz. The piece of music came out right after the letter was published, and Davila made a lot of money from the song. Davis thinks Davila pulled off an early viral marketing scheme by capitalizing on the terror around the Axeman. Davis thinks the Axeman was a working-class person and believes the killings and attacks were motivated by economic and or racial strife. Most of the Italians in Naula were Sicilian. Sicilians tend to have darker skin than other Italians, so Sicilians took jobs other lighter-skinned whites wouldn't do. Jobs like working on sugarcane and cotton plantations. Being willing to take these jobs allowed the Italian immigrants to New Orleans to do relatively well financially. They could work on the plantation and save enough to buy a fruit cart, work the fruit cart for a while, then be able to save up enough to buy a grocery store. And this was true for a lot of people. By 1900, Nola was home to the largest Italian community in the American South, and lots of these immigrants went down the grocery store ownership path. Check out these stats. In 1880, Italians owned 7% of New Orleans grocery stores. By 1900, that number was 19%. By 1920, full-on 50% of groceries in New Orleans were owned by Italians. Now, despite this economic success, local opinions of Italians were not very favorable. In 1929, a New Orleans judge said out loud and on the record the common view held of Italian immigrants of the time. The judge described Italians as, quote, of a thoroughly undesirable character, being largely composed of the most vicious, ignorant, degraded, and filthy paupers, with something more than an admixture of the criminal element, end quote. What the fuck? What the fuck? That's the only thing keeping me from getting revenge on that judge is the fact that that judge has probably been dead longer than I've been alive. You already got your revenge. (laughs) (laughs) 
But hey, one score settled. Despite all my rage, I'm still just an art in a cage. Uh, <laughs> all that aside, just what the fuck was going on with this X-Man bullshit, huh? What's the deal with this goddamn guy? Hey, what is he? Was it even just one guy? Was it a bunch of fucking Goombas out there bashing each other's domes? Was the X-Man a jazz crusader? A pissed off white guy? A literal fucking vampire? <laughs> well, the mystery of the Axeman of New Orleans may never be definitively solved. But we can learn a lot from this case. Like, how to sleep properly. First of all, uh, before you go to bed, lock all your doors and windows. <laughs> be aware of your surroundings. Including any weird chiseling at your back door. If you know what I mean. <laughs> Slide into bed. Wrap yourself up. Tide in your blankets and cover yourself in sleep sauce. <laughs> then you can sleep soundly, knowing that you've become the whole enchilada. Tilde. Tilde. Yummy. Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message. Ooh, it sure is chilly outside, Art. Andy, where's your jacket? Art, did you hear me? The wind chill is 30 below. Andy, I think you have hypothermia. You know, Art, with the horrific chilly weather outside, the only thing that'll warm me up is listening to Andy and Art Debunked, available only on patreon.com slash mrbunkerpod. Are you seriously shilling our Patreon right now? Oh, Art... Laughing at the antics of Andy and Art is all the warmth I need. And for just $5 a month, I get access to all the episodes of the show, behind-the-scenes updates, sneak peeks at episodes, and I can chat with Andy and Art on the Bunker Discord. Andy, we need to get you to a hospital. We need to get me to patreon.com slash MrBunkerPod. It's so chilly. Oh, God. I'm shilled to the bone. Welcome back, bunkfuckers. That was our research of the Axeman of New Orleans. With us still is David Flora from the Blurry Photos podcast. I'm still here. Blurryphotos.org, uh, patreon.com slash blurryphotos. New episodes every Monday, correct? <laughs> no. <laughs> you, you're not a Monday guy? I'm, I'm pretty much wow. whenever the hell I can get them out. <laughs> oh, I thought it was every other Monday. Twitch.tv slash blurryphotos. That's, that's it. Um uh, audibletrial.com slash blurry photos gets yourself a free audiobook. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. We've what? never had a promo. <laughs> Very cool. That's cool. <laughs> wow. Uh, now, you know, I, uh, I I try to get them out as soon as I can, but uh, uh, it it takes me longer and longer uh, every time. So oh, I got you. I'm, I'm very bad about being um, uh, consistent, but uh, I like to focus on the quality of my uh, stuff when I put it out. That's my excuse. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, uh, you can obviously find Blurry Photos wherever you find fine podcasts. Apple, Spotify, the Google. They got my Google. The Google Podcast app. 
uh, and the, all the other podcast apps. I don't know. There's a million. It's true. Um, hey, the X Men. Hey, I'm the X Men. X Men. Ah, murder of New Orleanians. Oh boy, this X Men, huh? Hey, uh, here's a little idea, uh, fellas. Uh, can we rule out Gimli? <laughs> I mean, hello, and wow. my axe. And he's small. He would fit through a panel in a back door. Oh, mm, he's wow. very sturdy, too. Can we rule yeah, it out, or did sturdy. you just blow the lid off of it? I just, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't ever think about it, but, I mean, you're right, Art. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Let's um, get to verdicts, then. Yeah. Uh, it was it Gimli. Case confirmed. Yes. Uh, fellas, how about some blanket statements here? How do we feel about this case? David, you want to... What, what's your thoughts on this one? You like this one a lot? Is it a, uh, a, a go-to fun one for you? Yeah, I mean, this one is uh, uh, very interesting, and I'm, I'm not a big true crime uh, person, but okay. I think mm-hmm. what really sells this one is that letter that comes out. Um, if that letter hadn't <laughs> yeah. come out uh, and, and is included with, with all the stories on this, I don't think anybody would have really cared. <laughs> like, mm. yeah, that's just some mm. crime going on in... Louisiana like um but this that kind of it kind of gives it a you know larger than life feel and uh it, it, I don't know how much you want me to get into the 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 events and what I'm thinking right now or anything uh but um it it is uh, it is very interesting I read a a book by uh Kevin McQueen who wrote uh, the the Axeman came from hell and um mm. He he did a, a good job of uh, laying out all the timeline and stuff, and uh, and another one I would suggest if people want to learn more about this too is uh, uh, go look up Alan Gotro, who is a um, um, he he works he he's a historian, he's a professor of history, uh, but it works closely with the New Orleans uh, Police Department, and he has written a lot of true crime books and things, and uh, he's got a YouTube channel called called man's uh, dark intent i believe uh it's a it's a true Ooh. crime thing and he he's done a couple episodes on the uh, axeman in new orleans so it's it is interesting very nice yeah this is a real interesting topic and i'll be honest uh david as we were preparing for this episode this is the first i ever heard of the axeman in new orleans hmm. uh and it really like right on the top you're kind of like I don't know. There's like you're kind of like, oh, there's a serial killer who targeted Italian grocers. Like that's kind of interesting. But then the letter just sort of blows the whole thing. That letter like, is great. Wide mm-hmm. open. I mean that that's what that's the draw. This guy. I mean, yeah. The, you know that that letter only comes out if you're like a, a huge dork or uh, <laughs> like actually seriously pretty twisted. I sure. think like <laughs> uh, the hottest hell. I mean, what what do you guys think? Do you do you believe that the the letter was by his own hand? Hmm. It's a good question. Um I don't know what to think. I don't I'll be honest with you like I don't know what to make of the letter. I mean in in some sense I can see the point uh that Miriam Davis is trying to make that oh this, you know, the letter had to be written by somebody who's probably educated. Mm. Um cuz there's, you know, obviously mythological reference in it. So uh there's probably somebody who had some access to education. That's a really good point, yeah. And then do you think that an educated person was uh, murdering mostly Italian-Americans uh, for sport in his spare time? Maybe. 
I don't know. It does have kind of a Jack the Ripper-ish type of vibe to mm-hmm. it. I mean, except it's not prostitutes. Yeah, it uh, it feels like a mustache twirling, <laughs> ne'er do well uh, kind of uh, yeah ne'er do well kind of guy wrote that that letter for sure. Whereas yeah. the 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 killings are fucking they're brutal. That's a thing. This is some brutal, disgusting. I mean, just bashing people. This isn't like, you know, th- there's like you know. Uh, Different classifications for killers, right? Yeah. Sometimes you have serial killers who are very like methol- what methodical. What is it? Like methodical. Thank you, David. Where they plan it out for months, what they're gonna do, and they practice it. And then you have opportunistic killers who just kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna go do some yeah. killing, and they just see it and they do it, and it happens, and they kind of get the rush that way. I don't know where you classify this axe man as. Is this something that they planned out, or were these? Did he see open windows? Did he? see places where he was just like i can get in there i'm gonna go do it mm. um i don't know the letter doesn't add up to that no me. you're right i yeah. i think uh criminologically speaking uh and maybe like criminal psychology <laughs> with it there's there's a very there's very much a gap between a sophisticated letter that's toying with the uh, its readers and has a lot of references and well-written statements and the brutality of the attacks yes. they don't really match up not to say that that's not possible to be a a butchering psychopath uh, genius but you would think that if someone writes that letter they're going to kind of have fun with what they're doing and it's going to be a little bit cleaner um yeah and more like you said thought out planned out i i kind of think that the letter was uh, a newspaper uh concoction to sell to sell papers to capitalize wow. on the stuff you know yeah. Um yeah. And um I believe that. And and the other thing I the, the other problem I have, of course, you have to take the timeline and it's good to look at each individual um slaying or or incident, but you also have to look at them all together, right? So what mm-hmm. adds up and what doesn't? What matches? Uh the the last uh, the pipito- the pepitones, right? Like they they got attacked with a lead pipe in a in a gigantic nut on yeah. a on a pipe, right? That right. That's not that's not anywhere close to the mo of um, what we've learned to this point about the Axe Man, where Very where yeah. they enter through a, a chiseled out panel in a door, they grab an axe, you know, or a, a weapon of opportunity. Let's say um, just happens to be an axe, and they they go full on to everybody in the uh the household uh this one they came in through a window they think they had a um a different kind of weapon a a, a weapon like that said they said they found it at the circus down the street right like that that right. doesn't sound that's kind of a weapon of opportunity but um yeah it doesn't match so. the doesn't match the mo that that's been established so much and also i think it's been pointed out that um not all the victims were italians uh, not all of the, the Italians were grocers, even even still. So, like, yeah. there is there is a tie there, but I don't think in the timeline, I don't think they're all the same person doing them. Uh, what wow. do you guys think? Yeah, I mean that is yeah. I I probably lean a little bit more towards that for sure. Um, to me, it definitely like it feels like. There were definitely some connected killings yeah. of a murderer who is or a killer, or serial killer who is opportunistic, who is breaking into homes, 
uh, murdering uh, uh, families and then escaping. And then um, some people started to connect the dots. So the papers started to go hog wild with this and they published that letter. And then um, possibly the mafia used this as a cover to um, do some some of their killings, perhaps. Yeah. Good oh, point. that was hey, that wasn't me. That was the uh, that was the X Man. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're talking about, officer. Yep. That, that's gone. I don't know what you're saying. I mean, the the X Man he breaks the houses. <laughs> um, that was my Christopher impression. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh, I think you're kind of hitting it. The, and then there's sort of this like weird jazz angle where it's like Sky's like obsessed with jazz. It's like what? Yeah, you, that definitely feels like something that the newspaper would concoct like they're like ah see i've got i've got the way to uh sell sell the papers here johnny boy we're gonna connect it to the jazz clubs people are pissed off about those closing of the jazz clubs and then you know it's kind of like a his girl friday sort of deal um yeah uh, there's no real other connection to jazz it's true other than the letter which other than it's new orleans unless unless you say like oh tony laroca is like yeah is the connection but that that seems to be more that's somebody looking backwards. Yeah, saying, yeah, that's a good point. You know, which, like, I think a lot of things, especially from the older, the farther back you go, it's like the more benefit you have of hindsight, and it's easier to draw connections like that. Obviously, the, at the time, nobody was like, I bet that this has something to do with Tony LaRocca <laughs> and his fat and his big fat mouth. Like, it doesn't seem like there's any indication that anybody thought right. that. Right, yeah. Uh, until, the, until the letter shows up. So, like, I... I don't know. It just, the letter does feel like a thing unto itself. You know, we covered the Zodiac killer as well. And that's, that's one where we were pretty split. We were like, this is two different people. Mm. Um, uh, the first half of the killings we believed were, uh, Andy, do you remember the fucking name? Ross Sullivan. Ross Sullivan, the, uh, the student. And the second half we believed were that Kane guy, right? Was that his mm-hmm. name? Yeah. Um, so, but, but that is a good example of like, you know, that's what kind of a very sophisticated, I think, like, I don't know. I guess you could call the Zodiac Killer methodical, right? Like, he was very much toying with the press and very much wrote in the same voice, in the same handwriting, and was getting off on that, like, that that cat and mouse game and that feeling of mm-hmm. power really is what it, I think, comes down to, right? So I kind of feel like the Zodiac slayings themselves were more opportunistic yes. than necessarily all the time. Just walking in on couples. Right, like park. just being, like going out and like finding a good opportunity to commit a crime for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kane is more of methodical yeah. in that sense. Um, but like the Axeman, it's hard to say. The Axeman. You know, it's like these happen at night, like... But there's no obvious motive for the axe man to be stalking the people that were murdered. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I think that's uh, sure you could say that's why they tied yeah, the mafia to it. Yeah. Like Pep, like Pepitone feels like a, a mob yeah. thing. Yeah. Like for sure. And it it just seems like you said, David, it's it's different than the others. Mm-hmm. It got whacked off. And you know, some of them do feel like it's burglaries, like um, you know, the Sarah Lauman and the Anna Schneider. They don't really fit the the kind of the mold. I mean, although they did find an axe. Nearby, mm-hmm. uh, the Sarah Lauman thing. So many people had fucking axes. Yeah. Well, I guess you gotta, gotta, gotta get gotta heat to the house some way. Yeah, that's true. Andy, this this story has to terrify you in some aspect. Am I right, uh, David? If you're not familiar, a big part of Andy's lore. 
that we don't explore very often is his fears and <laughs> and one of his biggest fears is home invasion oh. as is i'm sure many people's yeah <laughs> oh, um, it's gonna be gross i'm i'm oh <laughs> uh, well number two is italian groceries yeah, yeah yeah number two i will not shop at an italian grocery yeah, store yeah, yeah. uh the it is kind of scary um although the way that he, the axe man was able to enter home yeah and and i'll say this if yeah. if you haven't bunk funkers if you haven't listened to this david and dave do a really good job of describing <laughs> the axe man entering homes uh like describing the construction of doors at the time uh, Do you the remember the uh, the uh, the episode number, uh, David, for the, the X Man? Oh man, this is this is the game I I set up and love, and now I hate it. Um, <laughs> when was the X Man? It was uh, is in the hundreds, I think. Do you have it, Andy? I'm gonna oh, look okay. it up. <laughs> yeah, God, I mean, we, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I I don't know that one. I feel like it was maybe um, I don't know 112, 100 something. Okay, we're doing prices right okay, rules. Okay, I'll say 112. Uh, 112. Okay, Art, do you? What's your bet? Uh, what's your wager? I'll go 200. Just so no, it's not 200. I'll give you that. <laughs> David Flora, congratulations! You've won the Blurry Photos podcast episode, The X Men of New Orleans, which was coming in at number one five one. I went too high. Um, so one five one. There, check out uh, Dave and David's. Uh, <laughs> Um, a blurry photos uh, podcast uh, blurryphotos.org uh, but the my point is that yes home invasions <laughs> there were like the doors were paneled mm. at the time which is what allowed the axe man to gain entry what so, does that mean so there's like there's the structure of the door okay I've seen a door inlaid within the door is a panel like a design mm -hmm. element uh, like uh, <laughs> so there's like think of this like there's the rectangle of the door. Okay. And then there's rectangle. like four rectangles within ah, the rectangle of the door. Okay. And each rectangle is a panel. Squares. And so he you need only chisel around the edges of that and then you pop the panel out. And that allowed the axe man to reach inside. <laughs> I'm I'm making the hand gestures. David, I David. wish this you is... could see Andy's little hand gestures. <laughs> he literally has reached up into the air and is wiggling his three little fingers, giving me a shock. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's and that's how you unlock a door. And okay. then he would unlock the door and then go go inside. But still terrifying, aren't you, little Andy? It is terrifying. Uh, but that's why I uh, obsessively you have a check to make sure my door is locked. And you before have a I go to fully sleep. metal door. Yeah, I have a fully metal door. One solid piece doesn't open. <laughs> It's uh, bolted to the ceiling and the floor. <laughs> these, these, I mean, these are these are terrifying, no less, and very brutal murders. But there's always that thing of like, well, it was the 1910s. I mean, they didn't have an alarm system, you know. It's like, or I whatever. mean, getting cell away, phone. <laughs> getting away with crimes at this point would have been much different than it is today. Oh like, yeah, so they easy. they were just Jeez. starting to uh, experiment with um, fingerprinting and stuff. You know, forensics was in a, a terrible state at the time. Yeah, it's like um, you read the book, David, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but um, the fingerprinting technique that was known, there were there were known like somewhat reliable fingerprint techniques, but they were not widely used in the United States no. at this time. And I think that the New Orleans Police Department had access to this technology, but they didn't use it the, the right way or they weren't using it very often. If I am remembering right, yeah, yeah, it's um, 
like I said, it, it was still um, a, a new thing. I think it came about in the late 19th century. Um, I think it was this Venezuelan detective that that came up with it, Ooh. and and he he called it um, dactyloscopy. Uh, <laughs> wow! Which and 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 he was the first. Uh, God, I'm trying to remember his name. It's it's like um, it, it's like the the Vicente or something. <laughs> Um, but he, he used, he coined the term dactyloscopy, uh, um, and was, was the first positive, uh, identification in a murder case. Um, and that was in like eight, the 1890s, I want to say. Wow. And, uh, okay. and, and so, oh, oh it's Vucetich, um, Juan Vucetich, that was it. Uh, Argentina, not Venezuela. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> shout out to Juan Vucetich. Uh, none of this makes sense. Um, but uh, Juan Vucetich, if you're listening, shout that's out. That's right. You. Thank you for Great your job. desk. Lock- Great work, uh, uh, Octopus. Um, hard to believe. Hard to believe that dactyloscopy didn't. Do <laughs> People call it. It's a little too Latin. Hard to believe. Um, <laughs> but anyways, uh, um, yeah, Argentinian, uh, and he he kind of came up with uh, with it uh, comparative dactyloscopy. So they. They could compare, you know, the the prints since they're all unique and all. Um, and they just sort of built on that over over time, but uh, it was still so just brand new. Uh, yeah. The forensics, the the CSI type stuff, was really just sort of uh, wild west uh, for them. You know, it's, yeah. it, sheriffs usually uh, still <laughs> operated by instinct more than anything. You know, yeah. they had the the gut feelings. Which served them pretty well, you know, in some cases, but it, it wasn't as um, advanced as it, it could have been um, or, you know, we, we've come a long way even since, a very long way. Uh, yeah, we didn't have uh, NCIS uh, New Orleans no, uh, 1905 yeah. where uh, we had, you know, the 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 kind of goth uh, computer scientist hacker girl. like. <laughs> She's, she's like writer. hacking stuff. Yeah. yeah, she's got like a typewriter, and then you've got like uh, I forget the name of the actor, but and he would uh, he would look at the crime, <laughs> and he would uh, pull his uh, aviator glasses down, and he would go, "Well, detective, let me let me let me tell you, let me ask you a question. Do you think this guy is dead?" And then he would put his glasses on, and someone else would go, "Yeah, all right, we got through it." <laughs> people get it i tried my best yeah got there. No, it was good there. yeah but this is um, what a journey it, it's in line it, the funny thing is early 20th century america was like a hot time for axe murders um <laughs> it sounds crazy i love that but, line uh i just love that line <laughs> oh everybody was murdered oh my god axes. if you didn't have an axe murder going oh, yeah. on nobody in the early 20th century you were shit. nobody um the Times Picayune ran a series keeping up with the axe murders and <laughs> keeping it up was with the Cardaxians. Come on. Oh, oh my God. God. He's so <laughs> But I, I this is another one I actually recently covered uh during Blurry Photober um this this past year. <laughs> yeah. I did the uh the uh Clementine Barnabet murders. Um and and that was supposedly uh, a bunch of axe murders carried out by uh, this uh, young black woman in the Louisiana area down there, and it's it's very interesting. It's the same kind of thing where it's so muddy and murky. Like there's there's different suspects. There's a similar type of murder going on, but it's it's slightly wow. different in some ways. 
There may be like a voodoo aspect to it. There's, you know, it's got a lot of stuff going on, but at the end of the day, did she do it or did she not? You know, it, they, they, um, they had a, this whole trial and stuff, but the press played uh, a very big role in stirring up the public and getting them all worked up into a frenzy. And, um, the forensics they tried to use were just kind of, they're like, well, there's blood on this. You know, so uh, that was that was just a little bit before uh, the Axeman murders, I th- or maybe it was a little after. It was somewhere in the same time frame, but it was separate. Like it, it, it's nobody has connected the two and said, "Oh, it's." A, some people have tried, but it it just kind of falls apart. Um, yeah, but yeah, if you're interested in in more, and then of course there's the old Velisca Axe murders uh, in uh, what was it, Iowa. Um, Oh around that time it, it was just th- the thing to do if you were bored was to go kill a family with an axe <laughs> like it was awful yeah because you, you couldn't Jeez, get caught right. like you you, you yeah. just had to not be there when the police showed up and you're pretty golden you know yeah as long as nobody like i can identify you and say this is the person who killed yeah. me like there's probably a good chance you can get away with it, especially with the axe man, like entering people's homes at night when everyone's mm-hmm. sleeping, there's not going to be witnesses. Right. So, I mean, it's only the people that he attacks and he's, you know, obscuring They're they're waking up from sleep. They're stumbling around being hit with an ax. Like it would be really hard to describe this person. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I wrote this down. It's, uh, the, um, Cortamiglia and the Giordanos, that kind of feud. Mm-hmm. Does that does anyone else get the feeling that that would make for like a fucking awesome like Fargo style oh, movie yeah. or like series, <laughs> the Fargo TV yeah. show? Like, oh my god, I could I could watch the shit out of that. Like these two warring Italian uh, like grocery families, and then there's like also this grisly, brutal axe murder, and there's just this like the press, and it's oh man, that's it's the Louisiana uh, version of Hatfields and McCoys. Yes. Oh my god. There's some about, I mean, you know, I've never been to Louisiana. I've been close by, but I've never been to Louisiana or New Orleans. Um, But man, there's just something about it that just, God, like true crime stories, like true detective and stuff from Louisiana. There's just something about it where, I don't know, it's just the perfect setting for these kind of weird true crime stories Mm -hmm. and these bizarre, brutal murders. I don't know what it is about that uh, beautiful area, but... um, yeah, I don't know. Just a weird observation from my end. <laughs> I agree. No, it's it is rife with with uh, that kind of stuff, and and there's something about the uh, I don't know the moss on the trees and the yeah, like the swamps. swampy, yeah, the humidity. Everybody's foggy, dabbing the foreheads with the handkerchiefs down there and, uh, in the swamp. I just okay, uh, gotta get you to the ne- bottom of those moira. You could never <laughs> rule out the gator. <laughs> when you're down here in the swamp. Yeah, was it the a axe, gator? The axe gator. <laughs> it might have been. A axe wielding vampire, which honestly has to go in my next like Ravenloft D D campaign. Nice. I think. <laughs> uh, there's gotta be an axe wielding vampire dwarf. Uh, vampire yeah. dwarf in uh in Ravenloft uh, the next time you uh, anyone plays um uh Curse of Strahd, <laughs> <Nice>. so <laughs> get that Andy Taroka is, uh, deck going. Poor Andy. Uh you know, the that is the, that is like a funny thing to me that someone might suggest that it's a vampire because I just love so much the angle that the vampire breaks into your house. First of you, all, you know, you're like, broke oh, the- rule one. 
Yeah, rule one of vampires. You can't get in unless you invite him in. Right, yeah. Have you guys not seen Buffy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, And then uses an axe and no evidence that the blood was being dr- drunk at all. Uh, Okay, I mean... Mark, you're a great guy. Like we, we really love having you in the Vampire Club. But like, you got to start using your fangs. I don't want to. I'm not gonna fucking bite people's necks. I don't Ooh, want to bite gross. people. It is uh, disgusting. <laughs> I, want, I want to murder. Don't get me wrong. I want to murder them. But they, uh, <laughs> an axe is. There's not a lot of indoor plumbing. These people don't wash that often. <laughs> <laughs> like. There, uh, yeah, the 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 vampire is uh, a very funny angle to me. That hmm. that definitely feels do, like so. Super do, do they have the vampire wrong? No, it's us that have the vampire. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Our understanding of vampires is just screwed. Maybe that's true. We just don't understand the vampire, and this was our one opportunity <laughs> to get closer to the vampire. And New Orleans police screwed it the up. The vampire disinformation campaign was. Uh, Is it it possible the vampire was a CIA asset? Jeez, there you go. A a Transylvanian candidate. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that vampire was in Hoover's pocket. (laughs) Um, well, uh, gentlemen, I don't know if there's any other major points of this story that you want to bring up before we get to our verdicts here. Um, oh wow, I don't know if there's any other. Steph, you want to cover before we get out here on the swamp? Oh, and we go to an Italian hoagie together and we get, our, get ourselves a big old uh, Italian hoagie. Get out here on the barrel. <laughs> go out to Honey Island. Um, giving a verdict on this is going to be hard. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one for sure. Guilty, Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to have to go like. Um, Uh, I think I'm going to have to give like a verdict on. You're going to have to do multiple. It's okay. Yeah. Do multiple, Andy. I know you want to. You're stroking your little chin, chin, chin. <laughs> I think the first thing I'm going to make a verdict on is. Uh, well, let me, I'm going to, sh- Dave, I'm going to, David, I'm going to share the, uh, the bunker scale okay. with you. We got to, we got to, we're going to, we got to, we got to prep our guests here. Andy. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, if we're going to get straight to verdicts. Um, so we have a, a, this is a very, David, this is a very scientific scale. I mean, this thing has been calibrated, calculated by some of the top scientists in the world. Um, that this, this plausibility scale, and basically you will render a verdict on this case um, uh, on how plausible you think a certain outcome is. And, and I'm going to share the options with you so that you can get an idea of uh, what, we're, oops, what we're working with here. So uh, let me share my screen. Sure on my screen. And there you go, David. You should be able to wow. see that. That's the bunker scale. So you got a lot of options here. You can go from uh, case closed, plausible, to case confirmed means. So case closed would be like, I don't think this happened 100%, without a doubt. Case confirmed means 100%, this is what happened. Um, and everything in between is whatever you want to make it. So, um, <laughs> Andy, feel free to go first. Kind of give David a little little intro into uh how we do things here and then uh we'll tee him up yeah so i'll just start i'll start with an easy one and this is the supernatural <laughs> okay. uh was it a vampire was it a gaseous vapor man uh which is, <laughs> which which is my i'm, I'm alter, looking at one right now the max man or was he a ego. gas man come on <laughs> the gas man i should i didn't know i was i had gas <laughs> um 
I, it's case closed. I wasn't. It was a real human being that okay. committed these crimes. Fair enough. Um, then um, are all of these? I guess the next thing is: was it multiple people? Um, and I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say case confirmed. Wow. We are wow. The Axeman <laughs> timeline and even the expanded universe Axeman timeline <laughs> incorporates things that could be the same person, but also incorporates things that are without a doubt not the same person. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yes. Okay. So I'm case confirmed, which might be the first time I've ever given that verdict. No, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Case confirmed. <laughs> You're so wrong and you should feel ashamed. All right. So uh, case closed. It's not the first time I've given that verdict. Um, the next thing I want to verticize on is uh, Joseph Mumphrey or Mumphrey or okay. Manfrey. Mumford and Sons, yep. <laughs> um, was he the axe man in New Orleans? Like, is he responsible for a lot of these slayings? Um, I got to go just, let's give it, let's make it the verdict like straight down the middle. Plausible. Okay. Here's what I think. I don't know what to make of this guy, right? All right. Was he in jail? Was he out of jail? I don't know. I am no records historian for Louisiana prisons. Was he the guy that Esther Albano's story changed? He looks sweaty enough to be one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> I look like I'm trapped in the stacks <laughs> looking at Louisiana prison and records. The, and, and the, the AC has been broken oh, for they, decades. Oh, my God. <laughs> Turn on the fan, please. Oh, God, my records blew everywhere. <laughs> Um, so I'm going straight plausible. Like, wow. I don't know what to make of that guy's involvement in it, okay. but, um, he seems to be like the suspect that gets the most attention, like for an actual, you know, like person clap, to clap. tie it back to clap, clap. I don't, but I don't know. Um, so I think those were my verdicts. Hmm. Fair enough, Andy. Fair enough. Um, David, would you like to go next or would you like to have me give you another example of a verdict? Or are you feeling pretty confident? Oh, I can go next. Um, Right. Yeah, I mean, it's all you oddly enough, it's it's right in line uh, with yours. I wow. I think wow. you know, wow. ga- gas man, uh, the the vampire does not get invited into homes, but still enters and kills. Case closed. Nope. Case closed. <laughs> wow. Happening. Not a vampire. Um, as far as is it uh, is it all one dude uh, doing it, or I guess as you put it, is it multiple people? Yes. Uh, I think. If if not case confirmed, it's highly plausible. Uh, I just wow. I think that there are too many differing scenarios that uh, that these were for them all to be pinned on one person. Um, and plus, you know, not to mention the the timeline um, with some of the suspects they they brought up. Um, you know, they they're they're arresting people, they're quitting them, they're it, it's just kind of a revolving door. And I think a lot of arrests were done just because. <laughs> yeah the police wanted to show the public that they were trying to do something. <laughs> um, right. And yeah. then uh, as in, in the case of uh, Momfrey and sons, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm with you. Like it's straight down the middle. It, it he could have done some of it, um, but there's just, they, there's not enough evidence and probably not, uh, not good enough forensics at the time to say one way or the other. Um, and so I think it's just as likely that he could have uh, perpetrated some of this as it is that he didn't perpetrate it. So, yeah, straight down the middle. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, I, I agree with you. Fair um, enough, Wes. Yeah. Um, 
Pressure's on you, Art, to match these verdicts or be a weirdo. Well, you know, I, I got to go to the beat of my own drum. Um, uh, Case confirmed, it was a vapor. It was a vapor. <laughs> oh, I'm getting the vapors out of my head. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, I, I mean, I'll, I'll echo this. Case closed on Gas Vampire, even Aww. though Gas Vampire... Very cool movie that I need to see. <laughs> yeah. Very cool, fun B movie that I really need to watch. It's a good band, too. Oxman. Okay. I th I'm going to split it up a little different here. I think the first couple of murders, like anything pre um, the letter in the newspaper, mm -hmm. to me, um, I'm going to say like, well, first of all, case confirmed, it's multiple people, right? Like right. I'm, a, I'm in agreement with that, but... I think everything pre the letter, I'm going to go like highly plausible. That is the actual ax man. Mm -hmm. Okay. The ax man, the, this, this, this killer, this lone killer. The lone ax, <laughs> the lone, the lone ax man. Um, you know, I think the letter was, uh, I'm going to say plausible plus plus. The letter was, uh, definitely written by the press. Yeah. As a way yeah. to stir up drama. And I think Mumphrey, I'm going to go plausible minus and a half for um, kind of okay. his. I don't really think he's like an axe man. If anything, he was probably like mafia connected or something. Um, So you think he could have been involved in this, the yeah. murder of Mike Pepitone. Yeah. But maybe not the other murders. Right. I, yeah. I think some of these later murders maybe fall under like just general crimes or things that I got attributed to the ax man, but weren't necessarily the ax man. Um, and I, I definitely think the one with the nut in the pipe was probably like mafia related. Yeah. That's Mike, Pepitone. Mike, Pe Mike Pepitone. That's right. And um, yeah, there's definitely some mafia related ones in there. Um, I think this was, this would have been a really great cover. Not that they really even needed it. Right. Cause like we've been saying, <laughs> you yeah. just, long as you're just not around, you probably won't get caught. So, um, well, yeah, it's like, you know, if you're Sicilian in New Orleans at the time, you can just kind of settle your own disputes. And very true. Like the government doesn't want much to do with you anyway. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's kind of the, well, the history of the, of the Cosa Nostra and the mafia in, in actual Sicily is pretty kind of interesting. They kind of did, they sort of like, they would like bully and muscle people out of their farmland. Like they would, they would basically be such awful trolls and they would be so fucking annoying that people were like, you know what? Whatever. You can have my farmland. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Fuck this place. And they would leave. And that's kind of how they started doing a lot of their extortion and their uh, their stuff. But it's an interesting tale. Hmm. Interesting history. You but mean I could get a farm just by being a troll? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Andy, you're already like, I've seen you um, doing some of your riddles over a couple of the bridges here in the city. Yeah. I've seen you down on Well Street. Uh, Wall Street Bridge, uh, forcing people to answer your riddles, or you won't—you'll keep blocking their paths. Yeah, they're not allowed to. All pass. you yeah. eat is goat. You do curry. really well for yourself. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, but you do need to come up with a few others because the answer to a lot of them is time. Well, yeah, and you keep going like cannot oh. be seen, yeah, it's time. cannot be felt. <laughs> time rules us all. It's true, Andy. Um, but you know, work on your trollmanship, I think. Okay. And then I can have a farm. Then you can have a farm. Okay. Well, bunkfuckers, uh, those were our verdicts. Um, you can have a verdict too, bunkfuckers. Let us know what you think. 
Use the hashtag. Jazz it out. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, my goodness. Andy had one at the ready. Uh, use the hashtag. Jazz it out. Cut it out. Jazz it out. <laughs> and let us know what you think. Was uh, Dave Coulier the Axeman author? He definitely was. It was <laughs> under uh, the pseudonym email. Ranger Rick. <laughs> that was the that was the puppet yeah. show, Ranger right? <laughs> oh my god, he did do a oh my god. Oh, full house. Um it was a full house. I mean, you know. Yeah. Anyway, that was the and during, of that show. And during commercial breaks, I made a straight flush. Noise. <laughs> oh, uh those were our verdicts. Use the hashtag jazz it out. Let us know what you think. Um, but David, please, uh, before you let us know what you think, please go check out the blurry photos podcast, blurryphotos.org. high quality episodes. Whenever David <laughs> exactly. feels like releasing them, I, I thought it was every other Monday. I'm sorry. I, I feel like it usually came out on Mondays, but it's, yeah, it, it, uh, it, it usually is, uh, every other week, but, um, you know, when I move, I can't get them out. And when I, when I, I wake you. up, I can't get them out. And so, you know. Well, you know what? The, the beautiful thing about a lot of these podcatching apps is you can get you can get the Blurry Photos podcast downloaded instantly to your phone. Yeah. Uh, just or subscri- computer. Subscribe to it through your app and then yeah. you get the you get the episodes right away. Turn on notifications. Then you won't miss yeah, it. You need to sit around and click refresh on a web page all day long. That'd be crazy. <laughs> but uh, if you want to, it's fine. Um, David, where else can the fine people out there find? Man, you can. Uh, you you've mentioned it. I mean, I, I like I said before, I need to hire you guys. Uh, you do a lot better job of marketing <laughs> me than I do. Um, at uh, Twitch.tv/slash/blurryphotos, uh, I have a um, regular Thursday Saturday night stream session where I try to do horror games. Uh, I've done other uh, little uh, little games here and there. Sometimes I'll throw on Minecraft uh, on an off day and yeah. uh, jump on and stuff. But um, have a lot of fun streaming uh, games on Twitch, and let's see where else can you find me. If you uh, if you're into audiobooks, I have a few audiobooks that I have narrated. Uh, they are the Living Among oh. Bigfoot series by Tom Lyons, and uh, I have done Ooh. the Collector's Edition books one through three. That's um, uh, of volumes of one through fifteen, uh, and each book is five volumes. So uh, check that out and. Uh, if if you um if you have uh, Audible, then you know you you know how it works. If you don't, you can go to audibletrial.com slash blurry photos, and it gets you a free audio book uh, with a trial membership that you can cancel at any time. And and um, sorry that uh, I, I feel kind of shameless uh, plugging that uh, <laughs> on your all's show. I'm sorry. I, I probably plug away, plug, plug away. Up, but yeah, that's treat us like uh, we need a hair transplant. <laughs> plug away. It's ironic because I'm bald, uh, and so uh, that, that's that's a couple of, uh, of ways to find me. And of course, like uh, like the guy said, blurryphotos.org. You can find links to all that stuff on there, and uh, all the back catalog. I, I try to put that uh, all on there as well. Yeah, that's right. And if you're a social media junkie, you can find Blurry Photos on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you have a wonderful YouTube page, Blurry Videos, where you can catch. Uh, catch all the streams of your That's video true. games. You know, I, I started uh, with a Blurry Photos uh, podcast page, and YouTube is just such a, a bag of dicks with uh, how they treat people who <laughs> upload stuff. Uh, I kind of stopped uploading things there for a while because I was putting so much work into it, and YouTube was just like, we're taking your video down. 
And so, um, yeah. Wow. And, mm. uh, and, you know, I don't know the, the excuses for it. I mean, I, we did an episode on the Nazi occult with uh, Ken Height, and um, they immediately, yeah. like, took it down, even though it was it – was, we were just talking about mythology and, you know, history. So – Yeah, history. Um, anyways, uh, uh, but I have uh, blurry videos now where I put up uh, the VODs of me on – Twitch. So yeah, if you if you want to see me uh, playing some of these video games, uh, some of them I, I do a lot of jump scares, and that's uh, that's pretty righteous. And and some of them I uh, <laughs> I, I get pretty salty. I, I played the game The Evil Within, and boy, I I, I filled up uh, a sea with some salt uh, in that game. <laughs> but it's all in good fun. Ooh, I'm gonna have to check those out. <laughs> I've I got to get back there and, and start uploading time. those videos again. I, I've downloaded a bunch, but I haven't definitely sat down and did that. Anyways, <laughs> enough about my life. Well, uh, plenty of great places <laughs> to check out David and the Blurry Photos podcast. Um, Blurry Photos merch as well on your Thank Threadless you. store. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking did so That's much good. research. Yeah, good job. You can actually get this, Bunkfuckers. If you any of you are skaters, you can buy a Blurry Photos fucking skateboard. You can. Whoa, hell yeah. On the Blurry Photos merch store. David, okay, are you a not skater? At all. I cannot be off of my... Oh, okay. Uh, I, I moved to Colorado. <laughs> I can't ski. Um, I can't, I can't rollerblade skateboard. I'm sure if I got on a Segway, I would die. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know, but, uh, well, yeah, they- someone has b- uh, bought a, a skateboard before and it looks beautiful. So yeah, awesome. I mean, if it- very cool threadless, a very cool store, uh, pretty sure there's some pop-ups in Chicago, uh, brick and mortars, or at least yeah. there used to be, uh, anyway, uh, plenty of uh, wonderful places to connect with, uh, David and blurry photos. Um, if you once you're done looking at blurry photos and you you know you if you haven't you know any energy left you can check us out uh, Mr Bunker Pod on Twitter and Instagram Mr Bunker's Conspiracy Time find us on YouTube by YouTube searching Mr Bunker and uh, if you feel so inclined and you have the means to do so and you want to help keep the lights on and fund our legal battle against Mr Bunker you can donate on Patreon.com/slash Mr Bunker Pod. Um, where you can get access to our monthly Patreon-only show, Andy and RT Bunked. We're doing a whole serial killer true crime saga on there. Yeah. You can join the Bunker Discord and like, chat with us, I guess. I don't know <laughs> yeah, why you would want to. I don't to. know why anyone would want that, but you're welcome to. <laughs> you're welcome to. We will reply, and we will instigate the conversation. Uh, <laughs> and, so, And I will use a lot of emojis. I like <laughs> using emojis. I like our- We little, all do. Yeah, it's true. We do have fun with it. Um, a lot of fun on there, so- Anyway, David, uh, this has been truly what um, some people would call a hoot (laughs) and some other people might call a real fun time. Uh, Is there any last words you want to say before we eject you? Uh, No, it's it's been my pleasure and I'm uh, I'm very uh, happy for the opportunity uh, to come on here with you guys and and glad for you uh, to come on my show to do old Project Bluebeam. That's right. And um, oh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's been a, a blast, and thanks for letting me on and uh, cutting loose. And uh, thanks for all the support and all the uh, the plugs and stuff you guys give me. You guys are great. Hey, well, thank you so much for being here. This was, I know I speak for art when I say this was a pleasure to have you with us here in the bunker. And you elevated the level of this podcast by a magnitude of no less than 100 <laughs> just by uh, your mere presence. So thank you. Yes, Thank you. very true. Uh, nicely said for once, Andy. Nicely said. Um, <laughs> yeah, blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. A blind gator finds a dead chicken every once in a while. 
<laughs> a gaseous vampire bashes her head in with an axe every once in a while. Um, well, for not the titular Mr. Bunker, but for my cheese pairing, <laughs> co-host Andy Hart, I'm Art Stone saying that was the whole enchilada. Jambalaya. On <laughs> It's a my Abita Amble. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show. Wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today, and uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts.